Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hey everybody, my name is Zach Batty and this is Turning to Him. I am here with Everest Banner who has taken time out of his early Saturday morning to be with us. Everest, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, again, thanks for doing it. Um, give us just a quick 15 second uh, version of your life so that we kind of have a, a, a thumbnail sketch of it. Wow. My whole life in 15 yeah. seconds. <laughs> um, well, I've lived all over the place. Um, I have like eight states and um, so I've had a lot of opportunities to turn to Christ uh, in different places, I guess, in different kinds of communities. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Utah where there's a lot of Christians that are all, and, and in the South too, where there's a lot of Christians that are turned to Christ and also time in places like Portland where, you know, it's super weird if you believe in God. Yeah. So, um, I feel like I've had a wide variety of experiences, um, until, and now I'm just trying, I just got engaged, which is really exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. And hopefully the moving settles down a little bit from now on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So start when you were young, were you uh, born as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints? Yeah, I was. Um, so I was born in Utah and um, my parents lived there for a while. And then uh, we moved around a little bit in Utah and then we moved to Oregon. Um, and then my parents split up and then they both got married. And okay. so I spent time traveling between their houses and then they moved around a lot. Yes. <laughs> so okay. yeah, that's, that's how we get there. How old were you when you moved to Oregon? Um, the first time I moved to Oregon, I was seven, seven years old. Okay. So you were old enough to have you know memories and experiences in Utah. Mm -hmm. And then did it impact you greatly to move to Oregon? What was that like? Um, you know, I, I was sad because like a lot of my family's in Utah. Okay. Um, but also when you're seven, you're just kind of like, whatever the parents want to do is what we're doing. So sure. It's not too big. Okay. So you moved to Oregon. Uh, again, like you said, like you, like you, uh, implied when you're seven, your world is pretty small. Yeah. Were you able to sense a difference at all between Utah and Oregon or was it just like, ah, the trees are greener here. Okay, great. Let's keep living life. Um, there was a lot more rain. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, I remember that I thought, I think they call it Sundays cause it's the only day it doesn't rain. I think I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, how long were you in Oregon? I was in Oregon for three years, and then I moved back to Utah uh, with my mom when they split up, and I stayed there for two years. And then I moved back to Oregon again, and I lived there during the school year for five years. And then during the summers, I would go back to Utah. Okay. So... Uh, you're 10 years old when your parents divorce? Yeah, about. That has to make an impact. That has to make a mark. Um, yeah, it was, it was something that like, 
you'd never want to go through. You've always like, you know, you hear of divorces and you're like, wow, that sounds really hard. I would never want to go through that. And then it comes up and also you're 10. And so you're like, I don't really know how to go about this. Um, But the nice thing is my parents didn't have any big custody battles or uh, which I know can make it really hard for kids or like any fights or if they did, they kept it away from the kids. Yeah. It was nice. And, um, and they they were both, I, both parents are really loving and they wanted what's best for the kids. So they still took really good care of us. And like, so I live with my dad during the school year because of better educational opportunities, but I'd still get to call my mom every day if I wanted and vice versa on during summers. Well, that's fantastic. So, I mean, it sounds like as far as a divorce experience goes, yours was pretty good. Yeah, I think so. Yours is pretty good. That's something that you you wish for every kid who goes through that situation. Yeah. So I think like love, my mom has this quote. She says all the time. I think it's so true. Is it just as long as you just love your kids as much as possible, they'll turn out okay. And I, I think that's what made it all okay. So they both just tried to love the kids as much as possible. And me and my sister, we turned out okay. Good. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned you and your sister. So there's just the two of you. Mm-hmm. Are you older or younger? Um, I'm younger. Okay. Um, but right. she, she has autism, so I kind of play the older sibling role. Okay. All right. Uh man, there's a whole conversation we could have about that, about, uh, tell us about your sister then. Um, she's absolutely great. I love her so much. Um, she lives actually just a few blocks down from me right now. We're both in uh, Utah together. Um, she loves reading. She's like, like 800 words a minute. It's like crazy. Oh my gosh. Um, And she loves snuggling. She's a snuggle monster. <laughs> okay. Uh, forgive me for a lack of knowledge of autism. Is that unusual to be a snuggler? <laughs> um, I think it just depends. Everyone, everyone with autism, it's, it's a spectrum of like, you know, how it affects your brain function and how it affects you. And then like, just like everyone's different. You know, everyone's autism is different. There's people that don't want to be touched. And then there's people who just are really, really like snuggly. My sister happens to be one of those. That's Um, great. Did she also uh, do school year with your dad and then summers in Utah? Um, Sometimes. Okay. Uh, Half of it she did. And then the other half she just stayed in Utah. Okay. Okay, so 10 years old, uh, your parents get divorced, and now you start this uh, summering in Utah to make it sound like a nice vacation. You summer in Utah, school year in Washington. At what point? Sorry, that's right. Thank you. Um, At what point do you start to notice a testimony growing in you? Um, I think that's interesting um, question. I don't know why. And I feel bad because I know not everyone's experience is this way. 
Um, but I feel like I feel like I could feel God at a really young age. Um, like when I turned eight, my dad didn't want one of those things where like his kid gets older and it's like, well, my baptism didn't count. I didn't know what I was doing. I just did what my parents told me. Like he had me like read scriptures and pray about it and like come to know if I wanted to be baptized for myself. Yeah. And I remember that it was like literally just like three days of doing that. I'm like, this is what I want to do. Um, and I just, I don't know why, I don't know how, but I could just tell, I think the difference between how God felt, like what, what he felt like in my heart, um, and my own sort of feelings. And that's just been something I've been able to do. Wow. That's a fantastic gift. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is really, really, it brings me a lot of peace because I, my favorite thing about the gospel, because I've moved around a lot, um, is that because of the gift of the Holy Ghost and baptism, no matter where I'm at, no matter who I'm with, as long as I'm keeping commandments, um, I can feel at home. I can just think to myself, like I can just feel the Holy Spirit, because that's, that's the promise, right? Is yeah. that His Spirit will be with you always. And I can just kind of turn to that Spirit in my heart, and I can feel the peace of the Lord. And that's so I can just feel at home anywhere. Um, I'm pretty sure it was President Nelson in a somewhat recent conference talk said, this is a heavy paraphrase, but really, we have to be able to feel the spirit. That's That's the only thing that's going to be able to get us through the coming times, to be able to discern the spirit and that that the times of just casually floating through on borrowed light are gone. Those days are over now. Yeah. Wow. And then another thing that you said that stuck out to me was that your parents, your, your father mm -hmm. wanted your baptism to sounds like to really be your choice and not just kind of flow along with the culture. Hey, look, it's just what we do at, at five, at five years old, you get your training wheels off. At eight years old, you get baptized. And at 16, you get your driver's license. It's just what we do. Mm -hmm. I I love that because I think I hear a lot of people say, you know, I was I was baptized at eight, but really how much of a choice can an eight-year-old make? And I I always just kind of smile at that and think an eight-year-old, if if it's presented correctly, can make a choice. That that's revealed <laughs> i mean that's that's doctrine heavenly father apparently feels that an eight-year-old can make a choice mm -hmm. so i love that you had that experience and that you were able to articulate that yeah um and that that's how i feel too and it's funny because i really remember the interview the most and the studying about it to okay. be honest um and but i but the baptism i I remember going under the water. I remember having to do it twice because my leg came up, but that's about it. Yeah. But it's mostly the effects of what I've felt since that helps me like, no, like that was real. That was true. Yes. I still feel the spirit. Ah, that is so great to hear. Okay. So that's when 
so you you feel that testimony growing at a very early age it sounds like and that that you've developed and honed this ability to feel the spirit throughout your life mm -hmm. that's giving you great comfort um tell me about what is it like when you are bouncing back and forth between your two parents is there is there ever a point in which you start to feel like um you know all of my friends don't do this Hmm. Um, that's an interesting question. I guess like 10 years old is young enough to feel that I'm not really thinking about how other family systems work okay. yet. Um, so I don't. I don't think so. I, I, I feel like it was just like doing the best with what we had. Yeah. And I felt like yeah, this is the best thing we can do right now um, for what we've got going on. That's great. That's yeah. I ask. Um, so my parents divorced when I was a junior in high school. Okay. Uh, so, you know, a little bit older than your experience. Um, and so it's just interesting to hear other people's experiences and other people's thought processes and that type of thing. And I'm the youngest in my family. Mm. And so, you know, I wasn't able to talk to any younger siblings of, Hey, how are you doing? How, you know, what are you thinking? And that kind of stuff. So it sounds like, um, and I don't want to, uh, I certainly don't want to downplay it, but it sounds like your parents did a phenomenal job of not making the divorce, some earth shattering, life-altering experience for you is that true is that fair to say um yeah i suppose i guess i haven't thought about it like that but that's true um i mean it it was hard and there were times i was not happy and i expressed that um but i also i feel like they gave me a really good understanding of two things one that life is imperfect um and so we have to go through the imperfections of life and the other thing is that but because we have the gospel like our family is still together forever yeah so i think those were the two things they emphasized that helped me move past it and then and then i really also got a lot of i feel like emotional support from music that's when i really started to get into music and um that's just been a a key place for me to um experience my emotions and understand them and process them okay so when did music enter your life um probably about 11 or 12 okay um, and in what form well i had a friend show me a song and i was like this is cool and then she was like, but don't you get it? It's all metaphors. And then I just like thought about the song more than I've ever thought about a song before. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. He's saying so much more than just the words he's saying. Like there's a whole story behind this whole song. Um, it, it's a passenger song. Um, and all of his songs are like that. It's like he tells like almost a whole life story inside of every song. And it's really metaphorical. And so 
I was able to take those songs and think about my life and how it compares to the context. And it almost like helped me discover what thoughts I was having. It's like, why do I resonate with this lyric? And then I think about it for a while. I'm like, oh, this is where my life is similar. And then I can think about that. And it's like, but, and then just kind of, I feel like there's a big power in just recognizing your emotions and your thoughts and just being like, it's okay to feel what I feel. And that can help you move past so many things. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Are you a journaler? I am. Okay. I always have said that, man, a journal is an inexpensive therapist. (laughs) That's true. You can write down journal. I'm not a phenomenal journaler, journaler, but uh, that is so valuable to just, like you're saying, just to kind of sit down and process your thoughts and just spend some time thinking about why do I think about what I think about? Why do I feel what I feel? Mm -hmm. I knew that. Just recognizing that they're there and trying to tell yourself, it's always okay to feel whatever I feel takes so much power, I guess, out of the negative ones. And it really, uh, it helps you feel actualized, I suppose. It doesn't like fix the situation or get rid of the feelings, but you don't need to. You could just be like, it's okay that I feel this. And then you have a lot of emotional fortitude, I think, and strength. I like that. I don't know that I've ever heard that word before, but I like it a lot. It helps you feel actualized. I like that. Okay, so uh, you you go through your your junior high or your middle school years, your high school years doing this, uh, and then do you go to college? Yeah. Um, then it gets a little more complicated. Okay. <laughs> um, so I had one thing I want to mention, if that's all right, about the the high school, junior year, the junior middle school, high school years. Um, That's really important to my testimony. And what I think was really helpful is because I spent, I spent some time in high school where I'm the only member. Like it's just me. How school? Yeah. My school was super small, the graduating class of 30 kids. Okay. And that was in Oregon. That was with my dad. And then in the summers, I go to Utah where everyone's a member. There's not, it's so hard to meet someone that's not a member. (laughs) And so I get to see the contrast of these worlds, essentially. Um, Essentially life without the gospel and life with only the gospel. Um, And there is definitely pros and cons to both sides. But there's two, there's one really big thing that I feel helped me so much is I think I really do think when kids get baptized, they feel the spirit and their demeanor kind of changes. Um, and, and the gospel really has a spirit, but I think what can happen is in Utah where everyone's a member and you're just, you're keeping all the commandments all the time because it's what your parents say to do and what all your friends are doing and just how life is. Um, you're feeling the spirit and, being able to recognize God, you're almost like a fish in water. Mm-hmm. You don't even realize how much of the spirit is with you constantly because there's never really been a time that it's gone away. Yes. Um, and I saw a lot of that in my friends. They're like, that specifically were in Utah. They're like, I don't know. I just not sure I've ever felt the spirit. Um, I've just been doing this because my 
parents have said. And I wish I had the words then to share what I'm sharing now, but that's kind of why I'm sharing it now is because I can see from their life that they have felt the spirit and they are living. They are, as they're saying those words, they are feeling the spirit because they have lived the, the gospel and they've been baptized, um, but they've just felt it their whole life. So it feels super normal. And so that was something that was, I think, helpful to my testimony because then I go to Oregon and that is, I'm just to be honest for me, at least and the people I was with, it's, it's a darker place. Mm. Um, great people, you know, sure. Sure. Um, it's not like I had a super bad experience or anything, but it's just, you know, pornography is a common topic. People just talk about what they watch for, like, that's what they talk about or, and, you know, uh, any sort of drugs completely fine. Let's just talk about it and do it. There's so much immorality and uh, dishonesty and sadness that people just feel is normal in life. And I can vividly see the difference between how I felt every day to how my friends felt every day. And they were trying to do the best they could with what they had. Right. Right. Um, But I can just tell like, they didn't have a light that people have when they live the gospel. Um, thanks for saying that because that, I guess I, I, I'm at a little bit of a loss for words because um, I think that's something that you get concerned about. And, and sometimes you hear people say, I don't want my kids to grow up uh, just in Happy Valley, Utah, uh, I want them to know what the real world is like. Mm-hmm. And it's always so nice to hear the perspective of somebody who has lived in, quote, both worlds. Because I always tilt my head a little bit at that and think, why isn't this the real world? The The real world is the world that you choose to surround yourself with. That's the real world, as if there is a fake world somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's great to, to hear you express that and say, look, there, there is value here. And we're not talking about the culture. Look, if you don't love green jello salad, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But having a desire, go ahead. And I don't. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But having a desire to surround yourself to the best of your ability with the spirit and with people who are also striving to feel the spirit. That's that's not wanting to stick your head in the sand and pretend that all is well in Zion. That's a desire to want to create Zion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting to hear you articulate that. Um, you know, and also what you said that these are great people. You know, the uh, people who who um, are living this uh, different lifestyle. Oftentimes, these are great people mm-hmm. who just don't know where to find it. Don't know where to find truth and 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 uh, can have a hard time recognizing it. Absolutely, like I'm still friends with some friends from Oregon, and they're the, they're some of the yeah. kindest people. Um, Absolutely, I know. It's actually really funny because you know the high school's got all the different groups. You got like the the jocks and the nerds, and you know the I don't know whatever groups your high school has. <laughs> um, and it's funny because 
you know, I wanted to go somewhere where people weren't going to make fun of me for what I believed and like would be respectful of my beliefs, which was hard to find really. Um, but the most respectful group were the druggies, the people, yeah. the potheads. And so they're actually who I spent the most time with because they were, they were the most Christ-like out of all the groups. And so I, I just want to, I guess when we're creating Zion and looking for people that are willing to follow Christ or at least the light of Christ that they have, um, that can be anyone that can even be the potheads and like, they're definitely the most Christ-like. And that's why I spent time with them is because they were respectful of my beliefs. Uh, some of them even wouldn't swear when I was there, which I really appreciated. Um, yeah. And just because people are living a different lifestyle than you doesn't mean they don't have a light of Christ that they're trying to follow. And I would suggest with any friends you have, no matter where they are, just try to help them recognize the own, their own light of Christ that they have and encourage them to follow it. But what, whichever way they go, love them either way. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. And uh, on that note, um, an area in which a lot of us could improve in is remembering that the gospel is made up of two components, the principles and the ordinances slash covenants. Mm -hmm. And those two hopefully are intertwined, but they often aren't. And um, just as sometimes we, when I say we, I mean, uh, those who are living in a population or in a, in deep in the, in the church culture, um, often assume that, look, because I have, because I participate in the ordinances and because I've made covenants, then everything is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I am then living a Christ-like life and we, for, we can forget about the principles of compassion, of charity, of respect of these types of things and we assume that if someone hasn't made those covenants and if someone isn't uh isn't performing those ordinances then they must not have the principles and that's just not that's just not the case i mean we see that repeatedly over and over and over again so a great reminder there that the coin has two sides and and you have to live the principles and the ordinances uh okay so so the Oregon chapter of life is closing a little bit. And where did you go to school? Um, I went to a charter school in Oregon. It was Clackamas Academy of Industrial Sciences. Okay. And where did you go to college? Um, I, what was nice about the school while I was going there is because if you got good enough grades, your junior and senior year, they would send you to the local community college. Okay, fantastic. So junior and senior year, I was actually just in college at the community college where okay. I started my graphic design track. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then is that where you finished school? Um, so then I worked for a year uh, preparing for a mission. Okay. And then I went and that was a wild year. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do my, you mean by that? My dad and stepmom, who I was living with in Oregon, they decided that they wanted to live in Italy. So they moved to Italy and they're still there. And so I'm 18 
uh, kicked out of the house essentially. And so I go work at um, a scout ranch in, called Philmont. It's in New Mexico. Um, but I don't know if you've heard about it, but that was the same year there was the really big fires. So then that all fell through. So then I went and lived with my aunt in Utah. Um, and that was my favorite place I've ever lived, actually. And that was great. Hey, <laughs> wow. For my mission there. That is a wild year. Yeah. Uh, where did you serve your mission? I served in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. So you really have been all over this country. Yeah. I served in four different states on my mission. Um, Tennessee, North Carolina, uh, uh, Georgia, and Kentucky. Oh, my gosh. Um, how, how do your experiences growing up serve you on your mission? Or I guess, how do, how do those experiences help you serve others on your mission? Mm. Um, well, if we go back to my opportunity to see essentially light from dark. Yeah. Yeah. The two different living situations. Um, I guess a big thing is home is a big refuge when you're in the dark, when, yeah. when, when you're the only member, but if you've got a family that are as members as well, home can be a really safe place. Um, and then I think, what I think is kind of funny and I joke about is the first thing on my mission is like people usually get really homesick, okay. but I honestly missed music more than my home, I think, and my family. Um, but I think it's because I learned super early about, you know, I, fe I can feel at home wherever I am because of the Holy ghost. So that helps me. I feel like hit the ground running. A lot of people have to take a few months to get past homesickness and, wanting to go back and I was comfortable. I'd live out of, out of the house already for a year. Yes. Um, and I'm really comfortable meeting new people, being in new places. I'm really comfortable having conversations with people who aren't members. Like there was a lot that I felt was really helpful. And then, um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of losing myself in my thoughts. <laughs> um, can you ask the question one more time? How has the experiences that you had growing up, how did those help you serve people on your mission? Because, and, and I'll go deeper too. It, I'm imagining that there's a pretty big cultural difference between Oregon and Tennessee. <laughs> yep. And so that can, that alone would be uh, something that has to be processed and managed. But you have also though, perhaps unlike many missionaries, You've already lived around a lot of places. You've you've had some experiences. So, how does that affect your mission? Um. Well, I'm really grateful for primary. Okay. Because what you learn in primary is all you need to know to be a missionary. In fact, when you start getting past that, you kind of start losing sight of why you're really there. Um, and I'm grateful I remember what I've learned in primary that. That was the most helpful thing, I think, on the mission. Um, I'm also, like I said, really grateful for the Holy Spirit. Because um, being on a mission is super hard. I don't know if missionaries ever watch this, but like, I get it. There were times where I was like, I'm going home. This is yep. 
this is hard. Um, and for me, what made me want to go home wasn't that it was like, oh, no, people are not believing what I believe or, oh, no, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to get up every morning, which if that's, if that's like your thing, then that's totally hard and valid. But what was hard for me was I would make really great friends with these people and they were all Christians in the South. They're all, and um, the sad truth about the gospel is they, they're, they're on the right path, but they haven't made it there yet mm-hmm. to covenants with Christ. They need the saving covenants. Um, but you have really great people that you just fall in love with in there, and they say things like, well, I remember when I was 10, I was sitting on my porch with my grandma. And I just had this experience where I felt like I was saved. And I know my grandma said, as long as I read my Bible, I'll be okay. And I know she would never steer me wrong. And so how do you talk about that? It's like, right, right. I don't want to tell, like, I don't want to tell someone to stop listening to what their grandma said that they love so much. And it's such a tender story. Um, and so that was really hard is to actually have to tell people essentially that there's more and they're not done yeah. yet. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not that grandma was wrong. Yeah. Grandma was right. If you read your Bible, but that's, that's the, that's the beginning. That's not the end. Yeah. And so that was the hardest part for me. Um, but uh, I think learning how to pray is what kept me on a mission and saved me many times on a mission. Um. And I think that's really that's where I learned to turn to God daily, and where I why I still do is because of the mission because that's the only way I would uh, survive essentially. Yeah, isn't it interesting that uh, each of us go through something different? That if we choose to, it teaches us to turn to God mm-hmm. on a on a daily basis, like you said, and. Um, although every life is experience is different and unique, we can go through similar experiences as to our peers. And that experience maybe turns some people to Christ, but others not others just kind of bump their way through it and, and vice versa. And so you never know what experience you have will come at the right time when your heart is soft when you are susceptible to the promptings of the spirit and listening. And now you say, okay, this is going to be, and it sounds like for you, it, it wasn't an Alma, the younger experience where, look, I'm, I'm living this horrible life before this wild and crazy life. And then all of a sudden I, I turn to Christ. Whereas before I wasn't instead, it's, it sounds like for you, it was an, an additional and valuable tool to add to your toolbox. Well, mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to process hard things in my life. I can already, I'm, I'm already pretty good at feeling the spirit. I already have a great relationship with my parents and I, and I understand the value of having a team and a home base and a sanctuary. And now on your mission, you learn to pray deeply and sincerely and have a conversation with your father and your creator. Mm-hmm. And now to do that daily and just continually adding more tools to the toolbox of how am I going to get through life and succeed and, and get out of life everything that Heavenly Father wants me to get out of it? Absolutely.
have there been other tools throughout your life? I mean, you're, you're a young guy. So my guess is that there's not a whole lot of life post mission at this point, (laughs) but have um, there been any other tools that you've, that you've added to the toolbox? Um, sorry to backtrack a little bit, but I thought I wanted to say, um, just in case there's any Southerners that are like listening to this, um, or anyone who maybe they have a friend who's from the South and they're talking about, well, I've been saved. Um, I just want to share, like, I really believe those saved experiences are real too. A saved experience is when someone does what you're talking about, where like they were on a really bad path and then they, for the first time ever, maybe they pray to God and they feel the spirit strongly and they have a change of heart and they let go of their, their pride and they choose to follow Christ instead. Um, and I, I really believe those are real, but I believe that what we're trying to share in the gospel is that we should and can have saved experiences every single day. That is a lot of times for people the first time and sometimes the only time they've ever felt the spirit. Um, and that's why it's so powerful. And yeah, I would base my life off of that too. Right. I was in that, that boat. Um, but what Nelson is teaching is that we can have the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost so we can have saved experiences daily. I just yeah. want to do that. 100%. And, and I'm glad you said that because I certainly never want to dismiss or belittle somebody's spiritual experience because those are real because we all have the light of Christ. And I think anytime, no matter where we are in life, where we turn and and put our degrees closer to the savior, we will feel an increase of that light within us. And um, again, though, that's, that's the beginning of the process. It's not the end of the process. And so when we feel the, that light and that experience and we say, oh my gosh, I feel God talking to me. Yeah. Well, yes, you do. That's fantastic. And that's 100% you do. Of course, let's have more of that. Not, not the end of that. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, we we certainly do not want to belittle, diminish, or take away from anybody's spiritual experience, no matter when or where they've had it. Um, okay, so as for tools, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's funny, you know, I I never actually got the answer from God of whether or not I should serve a mission. Okay. Um. And I prayed for it. I definitely prayed for it. Uh, I ended up going just because, I don't know, I just, it's what I wanted to do. And I knew, and maybe that's why God didn't give me an answer. Because like, oh, I know you'll do it anyways. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, there's just, why I wanted to go is because of like how I've seen, I was able to see the two sides and I know how the gospel helps. Um, but I think the reason I never got an answer is because I wasn't actually praying correctly and yeah. asking correctly. And that's what I learned on my mission. I, I realized like four months into my mission that I didn't get my answer because I was praying about it wrong the whole time. And then really learning how to pray and hear God. I think those are the two biggest tools in it, uh, on a daily experience that that's what's helped change my life. Um, and so what it was is I was just like, 
I would just be like, okay, God, should I go? And then just wait for an answer. I was like, oh, I didn't really get one. Maybe I'll go to the temple and ask that same question. Should I go? I didn't really get anything. Okay, well, maybe I'll go to state conference and I'll ask the same question. Should I go? And some people, they get their answer that way, and that's awesome, but I didn't. Um, and I realize it's because there's a, there's a method to how God wants us to ask our questions and kind of a process we have to go through in order to receive the blessing of the answer, right? All blessings are um, predicated upon laws. And so if you want to receive an answer, there's a law you have to follow. And the Lord says, you, and this is in Doctrine and Covenants, um, I think it's nine. He says, you have to study it out in your heart, in your mind first, and then ask God if it's right. And if it is, I'll cause that your bosom shall burn. And if it's not, you'll have a stupider thought. And so when I was praying about should I go on a mission, I never took the time to just think for myself um, outside of a spiritual influence. Do I just want to go on a mission? Is this a good thing just logically? Mm-hmm. Should I go? Um, does it, is this something I want to do logically? And that's how we have to get with all of our decisions. God says he doesn't want any slothful servants. Yeah. Um, he, he says uh, a servant that's commanded in all things is slothful and not helpful, essentially is what he says. Um, and so he wants us to think for ourselves: is this a good decision? Just think about it logically. You know, will it help me? It is a big money investment. You know, it's like $10,000 when sure. I went. Um, it's two years of not going to school. I've got what is school learning? You're learning on the mission. Um, it's time away from the family. There's a lot of things to consider, but I'm also helping people. I might be learning a new language, which would be useful. I'm um, going towards Christ. But once you have your answer, you think, okay, I know logically for myself, I don't want to go. And that's it. I don't want to go. Once you have your answer, you then humbly take that to Christ. They say, Christ, this is my answer. Please tell me if it's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And half the time you won't get a response. And that's how you know you're doing the right thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But other times on occasion, um, very special experiences, the Lord will tell you you're right or you're wrong. He'll say, that's the wrong decision. And you say, shoot. And you have to go back to the drawing board and do again your own logic. Okay, what's the other thing I should do? And then you take that answer to God. Yeah. And yeah. it's that process of how you can get answered. Well, that's, you know, this life is about learning how to become godlike. And I feel like one way to look at that is step one is obedience. And when we're in that step or that phase, I don't know if it's step one, but a, a preliminary step is just learning to obey. And I feel like we, we are in that spiritual phase and, and learning area. Oftentimes, we can pray without having done our homework before, without having done our research. We pray and we get an answer because our test is obedience. Are you just going to obey? Okay, yes. Well, once, once we get good at obeying, then I feel like sometimes we go into that next phase of, okay, now I want you to learn how to make good decisions and I will confirm those decisions to you. And, and then I will help guide you through that process. 
And sometimes I think we don't realize that we've made that transition where we say, Heavenly Father, I will obey whatever prompting you give me. And he says, great. Thank you. I, thank you. That's fantastic. I, that's great. It's time for the next step now. You've graduated. You now need to learn this next process. And, uh, and that can be hard of saying, you know, of, of having a brother of Jared experience. Well, how do you want to light the barges? Well, I don't, I don't know. Last time I prayed, you just gave me an answer. I said, here's my problem. And you said, build a barge. I said, okay, great. Now you're telling me, wait, I, I got to think about stuff. Yeah. It's because you've graduated. This life is a time of growth and learning. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, again, I love how you uh, walk through that. And I think that's, that's a great way of putting it. And I think, you know, there's the classic, oh, I don't feel the same spirit that I felt on the mission. Yes. It's very classic. And like, if you're going through that, super normal. Please know that's super normal. And everyone goes through that. And um, what I feel like, I do feel like it's possible to keep that spirit, though, sure. that you got on your mission. And I think what it is, is every single day and every single moment, if you think about it, you were also asking Christ if you were doing what he wanted you to do. Like every single lesson you taught, you said a prayer and you asked God, you know, help me make sure this is the right lesson for them. Or every single, for me, I did tracting for the first bit before COVID. So every single street you went and knocked, you asked God if it was a good street, you know, or yeah. where, where we should go today, who we should call today. Um, once he got to Facebook finding, you know, who should we friend today? Who should we message? <laughs> Every morning you pray with your companion to plan out your whole day, but you also planned it with God. And I think that's the spirit was able to influence you many more times because you were reaching out saying you weren't like not going anywhere unless God tells me to go there. You're like, we're going to go here and just please God, let us know if there's something else we need to do, but this is where we're going to go. Yes. And we can do that at home as well. When you yes. plan your day in the morning, you can say a prayer and say, Hey God, if there's any thing that I'm missing, please let me know. Or maybe somewhere I need to be to help somebody um, help me plan today. This is my plan for today. Just let me know. And then all of a sudden God has influence over your whole day. And I promise you'll be able to feel that spirit all day. Like you did on the mission as you add God into more things and more decisions. Again, it's not, I'm not doing anything until God says. It's just like a third check. Usually people check, like, is it logical? Does it feel good? Um, but yeah, the third one is, does God have anything to say about it? And when you add that, the spirit can come into your life more often. I, think. I can't think of a, a better way to end this discussion than with what you just said. And I love that of, of just always having an ear turned to God and, and listening for that whisper, still acting under our own accord, and always listening for that whisper and that prompting, that correction. Mm -hmm. And Never if you're ever not sure if you're, it's a prompting or not, there's a really easy way to figure out if it is. Just stop and say a prayer and ask God if that was a prompting. Hmm. That, the, that'll clear it right up. Yeah. Everest, thank you so much for sharing your life with us and uh, your journey. What an amazing path.